Welcome back to the Thank You, Dan. And Alex Show. Always a pleasure to be around smart people, uh, people who not only uh, are intelligent and kind and caring, but also who can make a difference. And that's who our, our guest is today and who is also by chance, and we've been fortunate to develop a, a relationship, a friendship with right. uh, Dr. Paul Christo. Hello, Paul. Hi, Dan. Alex, thank you. But You're welcome. Before we uh, delve into what your specialty is, I just want people to know a little about you. I mean, you have done a remarkable, just remarkable things in, in life, but you're an associate professor in the D Division of Pain Medicine at John Hopkins University School of Medicine, and you serve as a director of the Multidisciplinary Plan Fellowship Program there for eight years. And you have been an award-winning syndicated radio host, and you've worked with unbelievable people like Naomi Judd and Joe Montana and Maya Angelou, just to name a few. Uh, you come with un unbelievable and impeccable credentials. And your book, well, first of all, let me just say this. Uh, I call you Dr. Payne. You know, you're, you're doc, Dr. Paul J. Christo, but after meeting you and your explanations about things are so remarkable, I want to give you your own special handle. So I refer to you when I talk to people and I talk about your book, Aches and Gains. I said, you got to meet this guy, Dr. Paul Dr. Christo. It's Dr. Payne. Doc, Dr. Payne. So <laughs> welcome, welcome to the, uh, to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, we are Thank excited you. to have you on our show today, Paul. I'm excited to be here. That's great. That's great. So, so go ahead, honey. Um, yes. Paul, tell us. Um, I know you have your own radio show. How long have you had your radio show, and how did you get on radio? Well, I've had the show for about eight years, and I started the show because I felt like the millions and millions, really, of people in our country who suffer from pain did not have a voice in the media. And I felt like it was important to offer that for them. I mean, because we're talking about uh, 116 million Americans, a third of the population that suffers from chronic pain. That, that's, a, you know, that's a remarkable number when you think about one out of three people in the United States with all of the uh, medical and technological advances yeah, are walking around in pain. Yeah. It's surprising. I think that number was very surprising to not only pain specialists, but to really anyone in this country to realize that, you know, if you turn around, look around, one out of every three people is suffering from chronic pain. No. And sadly... Sadly, let me just add this, that, you know, most of the time, still, even today, as you mentioned, that pain remains untreated, undertreated, and has become a significant public health problem. Well, absolutely. Uh, I, I didn't realize this, but, you know, pain creates uh, a world of hurt, and it affects every aspect of your life. And, I mean, the realities that I didn't realize how much of that sense of pain uh, contributes to a higher rate of suicide in, in our country. Exactly. And we're looking at, I think those with chronic pain have twice the risk of suicide 
compared to those who don't have chronic pain, and that's pretty high. That's very high. And, you know, it's uh, chronic pain is just such a devastating state of having to live your life. And I have, uh, and as I have mentioned to you uh, previously, Paul, I have had chronic back pain <laughs> for many, many years, and I never really, uh, I have not yet tackled it uh, the right way or have found relief, and I know how debilitating it can be because it's just constantly with you and, you know, you get fatigued from it, you are, it affects your moods, uh, it affects your flexibility and so on and so on. So um, it is really important that we have people like you trying to help others. And um, how much does this pain situation cost um, the U.S. economy on a yearly basis? An extreme amount, $635 billion annually, which is an astronomical number. It is. I can only imagine when you talk about that in terms of uh, dollar figures, the amount of loss uh, time at home or at the job or being able to be creative. I I mean, the quality of life as opposed to just the quantitative cost of it, has to be staggering, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And because it affects you or us, not only physically, and I think that's pretty, it's easier to understand how pain can affect you physically. It's harder to grasp how it affects you emotionally. But over time, when you have a persistent pain, and Alex, as you mentioned, that you know, persistent back pain, it starts eroding your life, and who you are. Absolutely. It changes you. That's what, yeah. that, is that what the end result is? Yeah, exactly. And it, but, it, you know, the thing is, Dan, it happens sort of insidiously. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily happen just overnight. It happens over the course of many months or even years to the point where then you realize, my God, you know, I, I can't work full-time anymore. Um, I can't swim anymore. I used to love yeah. to bowl. I used to go, love to go out with my friends shopping, and now I don't do that anymore. Yeah. I, the other day, a couple of weeks ago, I was in so much pain, and I turned to Dan, and I said, you know what? I know I'm sleeping with a frown. <laughs> <laughs> Um, So, Paul, what are the ways that people are trying to relieve the pain? I mean, what what do people use to get out of the pain? Does it involve illegal substances? What do people do if they don't get proper treatment? Well, you know, there are different ways to treat chronic pain, and one of them would be pharmacological, so with medications. Another would be with procedures or injections, for example, nerve blocks. And then a third would be the integrative treatments, like acupuncture, for example. So those are the ways that we have for pain relief. I think a lot of people don't know about them, unfortunately, and turn to a lot of over-the-counter remedies that aren't as proven. Mm -hmm. Do people feel that as you, you know, integrative medicine, which is what both uh, Alex and I believe in and and, and ascribe to and have doctors that look at both Western and Eastern medicine, uh, do do many people feel that those things are uh, not real or hocus pocus or some sort of uh, voodoo in terms of the ability to help you alleviate uh, pain or to increase just overall health in general? 
I think some people do. I have noticed, though, over the last several years that a growing number of patients are more open to those Eastern techniques, like acupuncture, for example. And, and we have also a growing evidence base for their effectiveness for treating chronic pain. Acupuncture is a big one, for example. No, we, uh, I, I am a person that has an acupuncturist, as, as, does, uh, as does Alex. I mean, I, I didn't believe that, you know, I, you know, it's almost like I thought. It was like the knee bone connected to the hip bone, and you, you know, rub your ear and, and <laughs> put a pin <laughs> in She made the point that that's because I grew up in Brooklyn. I, mean, I grew up and in Germany, world. and I grew up with all of these techniques. Yeah, yeah, my, my, my worldview basically was, you know, it's that old saying, if you have a headache, you take a hammer and hit your hand, and then your head stops hurting, you know. But uh, yeah. I'm realizing that, you know, I'm coming out of the dark ages or, or the Pleistocene period and realizing that all of these different <laughs> techniques uh, work, you know. <laughs> they can. And, you know, acupuncture <laughs> acupuncture has been found to be useful for low back pain, Alex, neck pain, upper back pain, headaches, knee pain, for example. I mean, a whole host of chronic pain conditions. So um, talking about acupuncture, Paul, how often would have such a treatment to be administered in order to be actually um, successful and get you out of pain? I suggest to my patients that they probably use about nine to ten sessions. So it, it's not something that necessarily reduces their pain overnight or reduces their pain after one to two right. sessions. It could take nine or ten or so. And that sometimes is limiting for patients because they don't want to wait that long. Exactly. Or what else has happened, unfortunately, is that insurance often doesn't cover that many sessions. That was my next question. Yeah, exactly. It it, it always gets back to dollars and and cents, right? Yeah, and how affordable uh, treatments really are. I mean, it's a big issue, you know? It is a big issue, and with the everything we've heard about the opioid epidemic, uh, unfortunately, we're seeing a restriction in the use of opioids. I think the appropriate use, anyway, of opioids for chronic pain. At the same time, we're not seeing an expansion, though, of insurance coverage for other therapies. That's a shame. It's amazing how uh, the very things that could lessen the cost of medical care with upfront costs are being restricted in an environment now where everybody is sort of trying to save money. It's almost like, I guess you could say, if I walked into a room and told someone, you know, I'll, uh, I could help you lose 20 pounds, and if I do, uh, you, you pay, me, uh, pay me $100, and then I take a hatchet and chop your arm off. Well, you know, you lost 20 pounds, but look where you are now. I mean, it's that kind of mentality that exists out there yeah. of not wanting to uh, do what is most effective, but m- maybe what is the most efficient, even if it's not the right thing to do, because it will give you a result, but the cost benefits later will be proven to be too costly. Mm-hmm. That's right. right. What That's are right. the different types? Of, how do you define pain uh, in general? So are, are there different segments or different ways to look at pain? So it's not just the you know, or one stop shop all that you, you hurt it. Are there different things to measure with pain? Well, you can classify pain as being acute, 
right? If you have surgery, for example, or you fracture your ankle, well, that hurts. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt for just a, typically a short period of time, and then it goes away. Chronic pain is a different beast, though. Chronic pain is persistent pain that typically lasts for three months or longer. And the difference here is key. The difference is that in chronic pain, what we see is a changing of the nervous system, of the spinal cord and the brain. And that's what then makes it more difficult to treat later on. So what happens to the body? I mean, is your, is your, is your body like on, on fire or goes in, uh, you know, uh, DEFCON 4 <laughs> alert? Or what does your brain tell the rest of your, your organs or, or, or your mood? Or your, does it increase serotonin or decrease, ser- you know, the, the happiness uh, mood? Uh, uh, yeah. chemical in your body? Well, it's, what happens is that the, when, suppose you burn your finger, well, when you burn your finger, there are nerves in the finger that transmit those pain impulses to the spinal cord and then to the brain. In chronic pain, think of it as those painful impulses continuing to go to the spinal cord and to the brain, even though the burn isn't there anymore. So even though the, 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 the burn is gone, you're still feeling the, the pain. pain. You are. And your body and your nerves are still thinking, if you will, that, that that burn is still there. And then over time, the way that the spinal cord processes pain, in other words, some of the chemicals uh, that are released as well as how the nerves um, input to certain areas of the spinal cord change. And not only that, though, is we've learned through certain specialty imaging techniques called functional MRI imaging that parts of the brain in, uh, change too. So the, the gray matter of the brain actually can decrease if you have conditions like, Alex, I'm sorry to say, chronic low back pain. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. And, yeah. And, well, and, and, and what does that gray matter do in the brain so our audience understands when you, when you lessen the amount of gray versus white matter? Well, the gray matter in the brain is important for thinking and processing. And if you start reducing that from a chronic pain condition, then your ability to carry on daily activities, for example, might diminish. Or in other circumstances, what we've seen is uh, with patients who have chronic pain like low back pain or fibromyalgia or even headaches, they'll report, and I'm not sure if you have noticed this, Alex, but they'll report um, memory problems, that they'll, they feel like they're forgetting um, things that they wouldn't have ordinarily forgotten. They're having problems understanding sometimes other people when they communicate to them, and that's because these regions in the brain that process pain are leading to a decrease in the gray matter. Wow. I mean, I have definitely experienced that. However, you know, when you when you reach uh, when you're over 50, then sometimes you don't know what to connect it to. <laughs> but you know what we can right. connect I mean... it to? We can connect it to the fact that we have to be aware of what's going yes, on. Exactly. Uh, we're going to be right back to pick up that conversation, but also to talk about the 800-pound gorilla in in the room in America which is opioids and the demystify opioids. So we'll be right back. Hold on. This is the Thank You, Dan. And Alex Show. From negative to positive, it takes focus. It takes the Thank You, Dan Show with Alex. 
Welcome back to the Thank You, Dan. And Alex show. We are back uh, on with Paul Christo. Dr. Paul Christo. Dr. Paul Christo, our pain doctor. Who has a great book called Dr. Pain. Aches and Gains, and I call him Dr. Pain. Dr. Payne. And Paul, <laughs> I was just yeah. thinking, and I have one question. Um, Paul, what happens when you have a patient walking into your practice with any kind of pain complaint? What is the first step? How do you initiate uh, the consultation and then perhaps a following treatment? Well, the first step is to elicit a history. I ask the patients, well, tell me about your pain. How did it start? Right. Uh, right. And then I move on from there to what is it like? Is it a burning, shooting, stabbing? Is it more aching? And where is it located in the body? And how has it affected your life? Those are the types of questions I ask initially. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. And what I've also experienced with pain, that the pain that you feel in any particular body part, that might not necessarily be where the pain actually originates from because pain happens to radiate. And it can be very difficult to actually track it to its source. Yes, and that's a concept that people who don't have pain don't understand, frankly. And the reason that occurs, that is, suppose you, you know, injure your left hand and you developed chronic left hand pain. Over time, what can sometimes happen is that you might develop left leg pain. Wow. Well, that seems odd, doesn't it? Because yes. you just yeah. injured your left hand. <laughs> Except I've experienced that, it. <laughs> you have? Yes. <laughs> well, what we see uh, in the research is that the spinal cord becomes sensitized to chronic pain. And those nerves start firing in different areas of the spinal cord when they shouldn't. And that's why patients might say, gosh, you know, I've had left hand pain for three years, but I just started noticing left foot pain. Hmm. So it, it, so it transmits, it, it, it radiates, it, it, it moves. It, it, yes. it, it, it does, but think of it as the tech, there's a technical term for this, and it's called central sensitization. And that central means we're talking about the brain and spinal cord, but specifically the spinal cord. So think of it as a certain part of the spinal cord has been sensitized, and then over time, another part of the spinal cord becomes sensitized, and that's why we see pain in other parts of the body. So it's like a domino effect? Yeah, sometimes. Wow, that's amazing. That's, I didn't know that, and I, I'm sure many of our, uh, our audience didn't yes. know that one pain over a protracted period of time can lead to pain in a completely different area yeah. of the body. Yeah. Good, that's why it's better to take care and try to manage or mitigate it as soon as possible. Absolutely. Yes, and by the way, th we see this in a condition called fibromyalgia. Right. And you're probably familiar with that. Yes, you know, often patients will report pain in multiple areas of their body. You, you know, it's so funny you should, you should mention that because uh, with my wife, B, uh, she had fibro fibromyalgia, and we could never figure out in, in her face and I believe somehow there's some sort of contributing cause of that, either uh, jump-starting Alzheimer's or dementia, uh, mm -hmm. although, you know, she had it before she was 65, so there was a pre-genetic disposition, disposition to have it. But, I, but we went to doctors who were dentists, dentists who were doctors. 
we tried everything, and before she really went well into the journey, could could not uh, figure it out. I mean, she didn't have a stroke. We tested for that, uh, you know, and then we, uh, we we just couldn't figure it out. And one of the things that we avoided, quite honestly, uh, for the pain, because she was given some opioids and it really numbed her uh, and changed her personality. We She did it for about two months and we got her off mm-hmm. that. I didn't know that that was going to be a precursor to what has become some of the hottest topics that are being discussed uh, around the country and even around the world. This whole opioid uh, tsunami that mm-hmm. exists in, in America. Can you Can you speak to what opioids really are, what they really do, and, and sort of in a in a way demystify, I mean, you know, it's like anything. Not all people are bad or not all things are good, but how do we get to where we are with the opioid uh, situation? Well, in the 1990s, there were more publications related to the use of opioids for non-cancer pain. Prior to the 1990s, opioids were primarily used for patients who had cancer pain. Well, some of that started changing in the, 19, in the early 1990s. So, you, so think of it this way. We had more evidence in the literature that opioids could be used for chronic non-cancer pain conditions, like low back pain, for example. Mm-hmm. And then you had the pharmaceutical industry uh, encouraging the use of opioids, right? And so they were, there were certain pharmaceutical companies, I think, that were pushing the use of opioids for chronic non-cancer pain. And then you also, on top of that, had primary care physicians and primary care practitioners using opioids as first-line therapy. Put all that together, and that's, I think, how we got to where we are now. So, so the marketing of it, uh, expanding the, the the market base, having the sadly or rightly or wrongly, the ability to uh, make them seem like a, a a panacea, a silver bullet for for pain, <laughs> caused America to become uh, addled by opioids. Is that what you're telling me? I think, in part, yes. I, I think it was done, at least on the part of the physicians. I think it was done in good faith to help those who are suffering from pain. I just think that we don't have a lot of pain specialists in this country. So most patients who have pain see their primary care providers. And at that time, more and more primary care providers were using opioids because it was felt that opioids could help chronic non-cancer pain. And, and they can. I, they, you know, I, I've done this for 18 years or so, and, I'm, and I know that they can help patients with chronic pain. But not every patient and only you know, specific patients who fail other therapies. But I mean, what happened highly, here is that, go ahead. Yeah, it's also highly addictive, you know, and they, very overprescribed. I think they were overprescribed, and I think they were used as first-line therapy instead of a therapy that should be used if other therapies are not helpful. That makes sense. So, so, and you mentioned addiction. Yeah, yes. that's another yes. problem because they can be, you're right, they can be uh, addictive. They can lead to the disease of addiction. I mean, and what we're seeing, uh, you know, that can occur in patients who have chronic pain. There's no question. But if you look at some of the studies actually on that, it's surprisingly lower than you might think. 
So I think what we've seen over the last, say, three years or so is a growing non-medical use of opioids, meaning they're being used for patients for whom they were not prescribed. Does that make sense? Yes, but just a, a little deeper, when you say they're being used as, as, an, as, as, a, as a narcotic, pure and simple, to check out of the world or to reduce their overall feelings of depression or, or, or to manage uh, things that they don't like about what's going on in their lives? I think we are seeing that with respect to the non-medical use of it. That is, using it to using opioids, say morphine or fentanyl, to reduce anxiety, to reduce depression, to cause a high or euphoria. I think we are seeing that in patient in people who use them who don't have pain. Recreational, yeah. Where we're we gonna go yes. this? How, how do we get? How do we get out of this? Uh, this this. Hurricane. What, what's what's going to what, what do you circle, think really. it's going to take to to break this uh, this cycle? Well, what's happened in 2016 is that the Centers for Disease Control published sort of a landmark guideline, and that guideline essentially recommended a reduction in the supply of opioids. And I think we've been seeing that over the last couple of years. Unfortunately, the consequences of that have been tough on those patients who have chronic pain and have been using opioids responsibly because physicians have been reducing their doses and cutting them off entirely. And what does that mean for those people? What alternatives can they seek if, well, what, what, what's the downside and what's the potential upside to this? Yeah. Well, the downside is that then if that happens to a particular patient with chronic pain, then sometimes they're going to the streets no. and they're using unsafe uh, they're buying opioids on the street like fentanyl. Sometimes fentanyl is laced with heroin, and some are dying, sadly, as a result of that. It's very dangerous. Uh, I think it, what's that? It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. Yeah. And, and, that's a sad, and that's sad because there are patients, again, a subset of patients for whom I think these types of medications are helpful. Uh, the good news, I think, is that it's alerted the healthcare community that opioids should not be used as a first-line therapy. You know, there are other therapies, injections, nerve blocks, um, integrative therapies like we talked about, acupuncture, for example, that those are th physical therapy. Th those are the things that we try to encourage patients to use first. That makes sense, it, yes. It, it's a, a situation that we must control because, I mean, whole communities, especially in uh, impoverished areas, are using them to, uh, they're, they're almost being used to alleviate stress. Is that is that safe to say? I think that is the case, and I think that we're seeing more and more illegal use of opioids, especially synthetic opioids like fentanyl. Right. Mm -hmm. And where do you see your practice in the state of pain management going from now to the next five years? Any, anything on the horizon that you see that's uh, hopeful or groundbreaking that can be uh, incorporated to, to the general population? Well, we're seeing the expansion of neuromodulation therapies. That's a big term for things like spinal cord stimulation. So believe it or not, you can use tiny doses of electricity to reduce pain. 
And, and we're seeing the expansion of the use of those for chronic pain conditions. And think of it as like a, as I explained to patients of mine, um, a cardiac pacemaker except for the spinal cord. And, and that actually is, I use and have used for several years, but I think we're seeing that the technology is improving to the point where we're better able to control pain with the use of things like spinal cord stimulation. We're also seeing the emergence of the regenerative therapies, platelet-rich plasma, for example, stem cell therapy. I think that's still in its infancy, frankly, but I think there's great potential there for pain relief in the future. Yes. So these things, while they're still, as you said, in their burgeoning stages, are uh, things that we can hopefully see making a big splash and a big difference over the, the next three, five, ten, ten years. Ten years to come. Definitely, definitely. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, uh, I want to thank you for, uh, Dr. Payne, Dr. Crystal, <laughs> is, you know, from talking to you, I always am amazed at your ability to take complex things, medical terms, like your book, In Aches and Pains. And I've read the book, uh, and, and I didn't realize how many different forms of pain that a person can have, you know, from fibromyalgia to gout and what the, and, and, oh, and, yeah. and through, you know, knee pain, back pain, you know, arthritis, different forms of arthritis. Your book so accurately, one breaks it down, talks about the medicinal uh, options you have, but you also get into that more uh, understanding that the integrative approach may be the best way uh, to go. To, but I think the big thing that I've taken and you've articulated uh, on the show today is that opioids should not be the first line of uh, pain release, pain relief, or or a, a, a way to try to make a make it go away, try to try to alleviate the pain. That's Thank right. I, I would agree. Thank you for your enormous contribution to our show today, Doctor. Paul Christo, Dr. Payne, and uh, (laughs) it's been really a pleasure having you on the show, and uh, we hope to uh, have you on again. Absolutely. Any new updates, anything you do, we want to know about, because part of the show is about caregiving, and so many people who care for those who can't care for themselves are in pain. So have a great day. Look forward to having you back. You're listening to the Thank You, Dan. And Alex Show. We'll be back.